Welcome to the Limitless Performance Podcast by Meta Endurance, the podcast in which we explore the boundaries of human performance and how science, coaching, equipment, and more help athletes and fitness enthusiasts to overcome their limits every single day. My name is Alex Filiti, and I'm your host in this podcast designed to help every listener to go beyond their limits. In today's episode of Limitless Performance, we have the first ever episode of Gear Focus. In this series, we're looking deeper into equipment, gear, and how athletes and fitness enthusiasts can make the most out of it to perform better. Today's episode is co-hosted with Andy and Ivan from the Meta Endurance team. Altogether, we'll be looking at some very special shoes like the Mizuno Wave Rebellion Pro or the OnCloud Tri. We'll also ask ourselves whether the rules applicable to shoes are still valid and how companies can innovate within those rules. I hope you will enjoy this conversation. Here we go. Um, Ivan and Andy, welcome uh, to this to this podcast, to this episode. Um, I think it would be great uh, to hear a bit from you about your backgrounds um, and why you are, you know, uh, working here, uh, helping Meta Endurance to 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 grow, uh, but also your personal story. So, if you wanna if you wanna go and explain a bit, um, Ivan, if you wanna if you wanna start, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Ivan. Uh, living in Copenhagen with a family, and um, yeah, recently or within the last couple of years, I really got intrigued by, especially running shoes. Uh, having a background in in working in the office all my life, suddenly it became a larger, larger part of my life. Not only from running myself, but also just my interest in the, especially in gear, running shoes, apparel. And um, yeah, today I also work in the industry, and uh, and also um, work for for Meta Endurance to create content on on digital media and uh, and also reviews and these things. And it's really the big passion of my life. So uh, I couldn't be happier working with what is my essentially my hobby. So yeah, yeah, I think that's. Um... Probably passion is is what brings us all together. And Andy, if you if you want to introduce yourself, uh, I guess some some extra passion will be added into the the debate. <laughs> uh, thanks, Alex. Yeah, I mean it's uh, similar to Ivan. It's just I think I've got into this through just the love of running, and through the love of running, it comes with all the different experiences you can have with different styles of running, trail running, road running. You know, running major races, just running with your mates and. Obviously, one of the things that makes running most fun is running in different shoes and the opportunity to work with Meta. I mean, I've been following you guys on social since you started, I think. I mean, I remember some of your very first videos in your original pain cave and uh, just watching the group grow since then, seeing the incredible media you're putting out. It's just really good to see so many different avenues, so many different things. And, you know, it just builds my passion and hopefully I'm hoping that I can give some back with my experiences uh with creating some content with helping people out making some choices and just sharing my love of running with everyone i think yeah no it, it's it's great and it's great to to have the two of you in in the team uh, i think the podcast is also a great you know opportunity to show um our community that meta is about a group of people a team of people uh and that we have various personalities in the in the team um various levels various uh backgrounds and um that's also a huge strength for the for the team 
uh, and I guess for the community in, in return. Um, you didn't mention the, the two of you. I know you're you're very humble, but you're also the you know the, the two uh, faster guys in the in the group uh, with some fast marathon PBs for for both of you, especially for Ivan. But Andy also has a has a very fast one. Maybe you want to explain a bit also your let's say running uh, curriculum. All right, uh, I'll start off. Ivan here. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's fast, but I'm, I'm 47, so <laughs> I'm trying to keep up now. I've been running for like uh, 11 years now and still trying to improve. It takes a lot of hard work to just make uh, some small improvements every year. But yeah, doing a marathon a couple of times a year, trying to do a few ultra races at 100Ks, but mostly marathon running, a little bit half marathon too, and doing the Copenhagen marathon here in the in just like five weeks time so really <laughs> trying to to have my peak uh, season right now trying to to have the the key passes um yeah want to break a 237 that i did last last year so hopefully i'll get under that but uh, any pb would be uh, great at this point so and then my a goal is to to improve at valencia which i've been running a couple of times uh, which i'll be doing this year in december so yeah, just running a lot of a lot of uh, yeah, kilometers or miles, and um, I love running. So it's uh, every chance I get, I get out there and 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 trying to to push myself, push the limits every time. So yeah, and also I think I mean you know, forty seven is is young in my head. That, that's how <laughs> I see it. But hearing someone who started running at thirty six, if mm. I do the the right calculation. Uh, is also great, I think, for people to hear that there's no age to start running. You can start at any time and you can just improve no matter where you start from. Um, so, yeah, that's also a, a thing I really like about your uh, background and, and how you, you came to running. Uh, it's some sort of like hope for, for everyone that, you know, you can start at any time and you can just be freaking fast. Like 237 is, is, is really fast. But Andy, I think you have a 244 PB in, in Manchester, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, um, my running journey really sort of started at the start of COVID because I'd kept fit before with football, with martial arts and things like that. Had, unfortunately, a few years where I got out of shape and started COVID weighing around about 110 kilos, which isn't ideal for anything. Um, so I got into running because running was outside, running was free, running was one of the few things available. And I started to run longer distances uh, during COVID period, I think Nike on their Nike running app had um, the Project Fearless virtual marathon. And I train, I've been running for about a year and a half by then and thought, I'll give it a go. So created a local course for myself along the seafront, uh, managed to run a 250, thought, hmm, this is fun, let's see what else I can do. And um, entered the Manchester marathon and trained hard, like Ivan said, just a lot of solitary miles just running 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 making those improvements and turned up on the start line in manchester and two hours 44 minutes later i was done and uh, an incredible experience and debut marathon at the age of 43 uh, so life in us old dog yet i think so i think my dream is to look for another marathon aim to go sub 240 um, I don't know whether people heard before, but I mean, got a few club mates looking for running sub 230 times. So I've got an amazing group of people to train with and just trying to get back to that consistency, just making sure running the workouts, not everything has to be perfect, but it's just getting it done and making those incremental improvements over time and it all adds up in the end. 
And do you already have any specific goals for for this year? Uh, Ivan has Copenhagen and then Valencia. Do you have anything on your uh, calendar yet? Not yet. I mean, my um, my calendar's tricky because I'm a teacher, so I can't take time off to uh, arrange a marathon. So I have to find a marathon that fits in with my schedule rather than fit in my schedule around the marathon. So I think this year is building up some consistent training, looking at what marathons are available and looking for either spring next year, spring next year to try and go for a PB there. Because I think this autumn, the marathons I'd love to do, I can't do. I'd love to run Valencia or somewhere like that, but it doesn't work for me at the moment. So if anyone knows of anything, let me know. We'll see. Maybe we'll have some race directors reaching out to you for some really specific, you know, dates in the year that work with their school uh, schedule. Um, all right. Thanks for for the introduction to the two of you. Um, I hope that the listeners will also be inspired to hear you about your your running journeys. Uh, we have quite a few things to discuss uh, tonight, so maybe we'll start with the first one, which is. Uh, and I'm I'm showing it uh, to Ivan and Andy here on on the camera. Uh, you don't see it, uh, but you you may have seen it already. It's the Mizuno Wave Rebellion Pro, um, a shoe that is really intriguing by its look, um, especially in that first prototype colorway, which is actually called the Kakizome colorway, uh, a Japanese word that um, essentially means. Uh, Painting in in that specific uh, art, um, like like here on the on the on the shoe, as um, Ivan and Andy can see, uh, very intriguing look and very interesting ride as well, uh, with some some curious specs uh, that may or may not be be illegal. Um, Ivan, Andy, you have uh, run in the shoe. Can you just quickly, in a few words, explain how it worked for you? All right, I'll uh, I'll start off. Uh... I have to start saying that I've probably never been this excited about <laughs> getting a shoe. I can confirm that Ivan had some, some excitement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was really intrigued because I'm re I'm really a lot into geometry in shoes, meter ruggers, and and how different ruggers um, change the ride. So this was so different from anything else out there. So I couldn't wait to get the shoe, but. Um, yeah, I had some some different views on it. Um, I'm a, I'm a midfoot striker, so just looking at the shoe, I was thinking, okay, we have a, we have a like very long, long sliding rugger here, which could uh, make for a really long propulsive face. It has to be said that I have a really high cadence, uh, not as high as uh, Andy, which is ridiculously high, but 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 a high cadence, and and. Um, and and so so i don't have like a really powerful stride i have these like small small uh, steps uh small fast steps and and i actually thought it would be really good for that when i saw the shoe for the first time uh, landing on the midfoot uh, i was expecting like it would be like just one one long propulsive face but it actually turned out that that the um the perfect landing spot on this shoe is a little bit behind the midfoot. It's a little bit, when people see the shoe, they think, okay, I can't be a heel strike in the shoe because it has no heel. But in a way, it, the actual landing point is a bit behind the midfoot. It is almost towards the heel. And what I, what happened to me is that it kind of forced me to land a little bit more backwards than I'm used to. So, uh, 
it kind of forced me forced me to run a little bit more on the heel than usual and and it changed my guides uh, gate cycle a lot um and it created a few issues first of all i think that that my my cadence got a little bit lo lower actually and it made me stride with a little bit more force and i had to use my quads and my hips a bit more than i usually do and i also angled my foot a little bit more because I was more heel striking. So I got some some issues with the shin splints that I'm usually not getting, just from the ankle of which my foot was landing. Uh, so that was, I was a little bit uh, sad about that, but I really enjoyed the ride. I really thought that it was like, um, it has a nice, um, I don't know, it's not too soft, not too firm, really nice, nice middle ground. And it has a really nice propulsive face and it feels really nice to run in the shoe. But I also felt that it was a bit um, unusual compared to my normal stride. And I'm not used to shoes that are like correcting my stride too much. Um, some shoes just correct my stride more than others. And it created a few issues. I also felt like the shoe was asking you to strike at a very specific point. Andy, is, is that also something that you um, encountered in, in testing the shoe? Yeah, I mean, I didn't run too many kilometres in the shoe, which is something we'll come back to with the fit, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I did find, because Ivan gave my secret away a little bit, I mean, I'm a very, very high cadence runner, so averaging well over 200 steps a minute. And I strike very much on sort of a forefoot. So I did find that while I enjoyed the ride of the shoe, I found it very, very easy to cruise in. I don't think that I was making the most of that long rocker it's got in it because I was literally just popping off the end of it. So I think it did, it felt strange to run in, first of all. Um, it wasn't unpleasant as a ride for me, but I don't think I was making the most of the assistance that is built into the shoe. And I think contrary to the two of you, I have slightly of a lower cadence, although it has increased in, in the recent month. Um, but I'm probably more in the 170, 175 ballpark, uh, which is lower than, than what you're doing, the, the two of you. Uh, and I'm more of that stride runner. Um, I used to be a, you know, a stride runner for sure. And now I'm probably a bit in between a cadence runner and a stride runner, um, meaning that I'm extending a bit my stride at higher paces but also increasing a bit my cadence uh, both at the at the same time um, and contrary to the to the two of you um, I think the shoe works quite well for me because of that uh, first because I don't really mind changing my gait cycle because of a shoe or thanks to a shoe and being forced to land at a specific point was fine by me uh, but also because I probably push a bit more in that toe off phase um, and that's also you know how stride runners are doing it they put a bit more force uh vertical force down into the shoe and they they push a bit more and that's probably more how i run so that's also interesting for for people to understand how it works uh for different type of, of runners here and so coming back to the fit because you ivan you you touch base on it but uh andy it's something that uh stopped you testing the the shoe or at least um, made it less comfortable can you can you explain what happened here yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've never really, I've run in a lot of shoes over the last few years and I've never had one that's just eaten my feet. I mean, the upper in this shoe just had a real taste for my foot. The first run I had in it, I think I did about 
18, 19 kilometers in it, some marathon pace work, um, some three kilometer reps at marathon pace. When I was running, I felt fine. Towards the end, I could feel some hot spots on my big toes. And when I took the shoe off at the end, I mean, I'm, I had two gigantic blisters, uh, one on each of my, the inside of my big toes from where the shoe, the front of the shoe had just rubbed and rubbed and rubbed. And then obviously gave them a bit of a rest, gave my feet a chance to heal. So second time out, padded my toes. And this time it managed to almost eat a hole in the back of my foot by my Achilles. So I don't know what it is with my feet and these shoes, but they are not destined to work together. Uh, Ivan, did you also have some blisters? I can't remember. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I've had a couple of runs. The first run, I actually, um, I haven't had any issues with the toe box, which I was sure I would have because it's so pointy, the shoe. So I was thinking, okay, this is going to create some issues. But the toe box was fine. But but I had some Achilles rubbing, and and still now I had the I can feel it on my skin even after like a long time here. But so it did create some issues. But after changing to thinner socks, it really it really solved the the issue. So I haven't had any problems since then. But uh, yeah, it's definitely on the smaller side. I would say. Mm. I mean, it, it's it's if you're in between sizes, definitely definitely size up. But I, I think, think that's that's kind of a Mizuno thing, isn't it? Ivan, I think you're the one here yeah, with the not, biggest Mizuno experience. Not not from early on. I I used to run a lot in the Wave Riders early on, and there was quite they were quite roomy actually. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's also something to do with conversion because the conversion to European sizes is a bit different. Usually, I would be a 42, and in Mizuno, I'm a 41. So uh, you have to you have to be careful because it's a little bit tricky with the conversions. But, and yeah, I'm the only one here who didn't have any blister issues. And the caveat is that I received um, half a size up in the prototype version, which is the one I use the most. Um, so you know, maybe in the in my true to size, I, I would have had some 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 uh, rubbing issues. Um, so yeah, probably the the good advice here, if you're looking uh, into buying this shoe, would be to to go half a size up. Especially if you have some wire feet and uh, and or uh, you know some rubbing issues, recurring rubbing issues, um, is that the only issue that the two of you had with the with the shoe? I think um, slippery issues, or I mean, let's stay with the feet. Lockdown is is quite good, I would say. Um, yep. Did you did you have any other issues with the upper? other than the, the blisters, which were quite bad for you, Andy, if I remember well. <laughs> yeah, uh, it wasn't an enjoyable experience. I mean, as I say, it's a real shame because the actual ride of the shoe, the lockdown felt fine. I found the ride of the shoe lovely. I ran in it on frosty morning. I ran it on some slippery surfaces. And I know um, someone else, Ilka, I think, had some issues with the grip on it. But I, not a problem at all. I was able to run at decent paces on some less than ideal surfaces and had no issues with it and as i say i found it a very pleasant shoe to run in if it um if it wasn't for the upper yeah and ivan i think you even said in the in the written review that we have on on metaendurance.com that the the grip is maybe one of the best you tried in the mm -hmm. recent months yeah i mean um for me it's in the top three it's it's absolutely amazing this grip Okay, there so I cannot resist asking, what are the two others in the top three? Uh, I know your favorite is probably Puma Grip. My favorite is uh, the Continental from Adidas. I think it's uh, on the, or something like the Primex. It's it's in, it's incredible standing on a fifty millimeter uh, tall shoe and just like 
taking corners on icy conditions in Scandinavia without feeling nervous at all. I think the Continental is, is amazing, but also the Puma group is great, and this is among the top three too. It's uh, it's it's incredibly good, and it has to be with this tall stack height. You need some really yep. good grip for sure. What would be your top three grips, Andy? I think I'm pretty much in the same boat as Ivan. I mean, the Adidas uh, rubber is outstanding. I love it on the, the Takumi Sen 8, which is probably my favorite workout shoe. Uh, you can corner with absolutely no worries whatsoever on any kind of surface in that. Puma grip is phenomenal. Um, I'm pretty sure you could run up the side of skyscrapers in a pair of Puma shoes. And this Mizuno, as I say, there's a, on our local workout course, there's one sharp corner. I was running around that on a frosty morning and there are some shoes I've run around that in and I've been a bit uh, worried about the corner, but in these, after the first time rounds, absolutely just hammering it around there with not a worry in the world. And like Ivan says, in a very high stack height shoe like this is, um, it's a massive peace of mind to know that it's not going to slip out sideways and do your ankles. And also quite surprisingly, the, the, the outsole is covered in those small little dots of, of rubber and the mm -hmm. wear isn't isn't bad at all i mean it's even not worn on my shoe which has more than 100 kilometers it's really holding up quite well yeah it's really durable for sure i, I mean i have like a seven few dots that are like a bit eaten but it's really nothing major and the shoe probably has i mean the, the also at least probably has six seven hundred kilometers of, of lifespan i would say what would be your uh let's say estimates of lifespan for the for the outsole, Ivan. Yeah, I, I would be in the same same ballpark. I mean, the upper uh, looks like new still, and uh, mm. the outsole no wear and tear. And I think you have so much cushioning, and and it's not too soft and squishy either. I don't think it would collapse that easily. Actually, I, I would say seven eight hundred kilometers around that ballpark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which is probably yeah. one of the and maybe not the best lifespan in, in super shoes, but quite a good lifespan for for super shoes. Yeah, um, you the two of you mentioned uh, stack height, and I think this is a, a big topic with this shoe as well. Um, so it's a it's a race, uh, it's a legal race shoe, meaning that it has uh, it's complying with World Athletics regulations. Um, but um, the the actual stack height, the highest point, at least in terms of uh, midsole stack is around i think 52 or 55 millimeters uh, and this is coming directly from the from the product designer uh with which we spoke in um in japan in osaka at mizuno headquarters um he mentioned that the the you know there is no sort of secret around the the stack height being higher than the authorized 40 millimeters and that's because of a trick or i don't know if we we, we call it a trick but at least um the placement of that highest stack being somewhere else than the, the, the place where World Athletics is measuring shoes. Um, basically, World Athletics, for those of you who, who may not be familiar with those regulations, are measuring shoes um, and shoe stack, for that matter, at 12% of the, um, of the shoe coming from the heel. So you take a shoe, you, its, it's full length is 100%. And if you start from the heel, you take 12%. And that's the, the specific point where World Athletics is measuring the stack height of shoes to uh, approve them or refuse them for the purposes of um, the uh, approved shoe list. Um, and here, the 40 millimeters, I think, are uh, the the stack height is below 40 millimeters at that point. It's uh, it's 39.5, if I remember well. 
but if you look a bit further, um, because of that hill bevel, the um, the highest point is actually more uh, closer to to the to the midfoot, to the middle of the shoe. Probably speaking in terms of percentage, around you know forty percent of the shoe, thirty five forty percent of that length coming from the heel, starting in the heel. Um, and there you have that that 52, 55 millimeters. Uh, what do you think, the Ivan and you? Is that some sort of like magic trick? Do you think it's playing a bit, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with the rules? How would you how would you describe that that way of uh, well, working around the the 40 millimeter uh, rule? Well, it, it's not the first time we've seen it. So, but maybe it's the first time that they have thought it into the product. I, I can imagine it's uh, it's something that that's well thought out. Uh, we've seen it in other shoes that are also legal for the track, which is uh, you would never like imagine some certain brands doing like shoes that are really tall, but they have these deep cutouts just at the mm-hmm. right places. But I actually don't think they did it did that to to create a shoe to to oblige by the rules. But here we have a shoe that what I think that it's of course it's very well thought out because it's a marathon shoe. So they did think it uh, when they created the product is something that they they knew for sure. But um, yeah, I, I mean these are the rules. I think honestly, I don't think it's cheating. Or I think, I mean, if there are some rules, I, I think it's fine. Uh, I, That's I, it. I mean, I'd, I'd agree. I think. I mean, all sports play in the grey areas, don't they? I mean everyone's got technology technology is always improving it enhances the running and the rules are there and you're allowed to play within those rules so the shoe companies are very clever and they're going to play within them so now the question would probably be if there is so much gray zone around stack height rules should the the rules be different um should the measurement be a range you know coming from 12 percent down to 40 percent of the length of the shoe um, the stack height needs to be less than X millimeters, uh, or the the variance between the the highest point and the forty millimeters cannot be more than X millimeters. Uh, do you think that's something that that should be implemented? Yeah, I, th- I think they could <laughs> they could implement it. They could say that the highest point is not allowed to be more than let's say forty five or forty millimeters. That would be an easy way to do it. Um, and then not me- maybe not measuring at the center point, but just just saying that's the highest point and that's it. So maybe going by the 40 millimeters just as the highest point in, in total. I don't know. I think this way of doing it is um, it's a bit confusing and it will be like something that every brand now is maybe is going to consider because a lot of brands are doing these deep cutouts too now in their shoes also to get this trampoline effect which works and you can shave off a bit of weight too. So it makes sense, but yeah, I can see this going uh, way, way beyond this. If they continue doing this, uh, we can see yeah, even taller shoes. So, yeah. But but then maybe, um, you know, a question for you, Andy, and, and Ivan, feel free also to give us some examples. Is necessarily more foam better? Meaning that do you necessarily get an extra advantage with more stack height or can it be even detrimental at some point i think it depends on the runner really the gait mm-hmm. cycle because there's not an ideal shoe for anyone there's not an ideal stack height for everyone i mean i think something like i mentioned the prime x earlier and whilst i absolutely love the prime x i mean my gait cycle my foot strike whatever it is i have it's the shoe i've fallen over in the most 
because when I'm towards the end of a run, when I'm getting tired, I find 50 millimetres of stack, my foot drags on the floor, and next thing I know, I'm measuring my length along the pavement. So I don't think necessarily more stack height is always the best. I think it's finding a shoe that works the best for you. Uh, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> for, for me, I would say I have like four shoes right now that I use every single time my... Um, my calves are really tired <laughs> and my calves are tired a lot. And that would be the Primex, the Superblast, the Alpha Fly, and, the, and then this one from Mizuno. And I use them every single time because I use my quads and my hips a lot in these shoes. So I can take off some relief from my calves. I can imagine that runners with very strong hips and quads and very powerful toe-offs. I know you have more of that also maybe because you come from a some duathlon where you you have stronger i think upper legs and and, and hips i can imagine some runners with a with where the part these parts are stronger they can really really benefit from from these taller shoes and i know some runners myself which would go with a primix any day of the week if they were doing a marathon if they could and that's because they're so strong up there I, i'm not that kind of runner so it wouldn't benefit me but it would definitely benefit some type of runners, I'm sure. So, yeah, quite interesting. I I would I think I would tend to agree with the idea of it doesn't necessarily benefit everyone, but some people would would get a huge advantage from from get, having more foam underfoot. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting debate, and I think where we will see more you know innovation, more uh, you know revolutionary geometries coming from shoe companies to try to play a bit with that gray zone um this is not the, the first shoe and and we'll see we'll see more examples of that um, i think mizuno are one of the companies pushing that the most i mean looking at your unboxing video today i think uh, the mizuno you unveiled there is even more extreme than this and yet it's somehow tracked legal isn't it yeah, yeah that's um andy's referring to the mizuno wave Jewel pro which is um a crazy looking shoe that essentially doesn't have a heel um, and you can, you know, it stands just on, on its uh, midfoot or forefoot. Um, it's it's very surprising uh, design, but yes, I think it's it's track legal. And they also have the Mizuno uh, Wave Dual Pro QTR, mm. which is even uh, race legal for distances below, the, below 800 meters. Uh, so yeah, Mizuno is, is definitely playing a lot with um, maybe less foams and maybe less uh, of that, you know, compound aspect. But certainly, in, in terms of geometries, they're ahead of of the curve. Um, and they do have. We we managed to to visit the the engine, so it's like the research and development center in in Osaka. Uh, they have a team of like young, very motivated people there, trying to to see how they can they can be the the next. Uh, I don't want to say the next Nike because uh, you know the the Vaporfly and the Alphafly are not the, necessarily the best shoes for everyone, but at least they they're trying to be the best company in terms of super shoes and racing shoes uh, tomorrow and and after that 2024 2028 Olympics they definitely have that in mind. So yeah, it's 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 really really interesting. Another big player that seems to be to be um, trying to push the the limits at the moment is is on of course. Uh, mm. the, the Swiss company based in, in Zurich. Um, they are also kind of playing with the gray zone, gray, uh, gray space in terms of rules. I don't know if you heard about the Cloud Try. Uh, it's, a, it's a shoe that's uh, 
some people uh, shared images of on social media recently. Have you seen it? Is that the super thick on shoe that some people were wearing? Um, so there's one super thick shoe that was worn in Kona for the Ironman World Championships by Gustav Eden. It's not yep. that one. That one was a custom one-off shoe that was legal at the time because there were no rules for Ironman. So this one is now forbidden because Ironman is uh, using the same rules as, as World Athletics. Um, no, this one is one that um, was worn by Gustav Eden, the same uh, Norwegian triathlete, um, unsponsored athlete in Abu Dhabi. I think it was the weekend of March the 5th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's basically a shoe, Cloud Try 1 and Cloud Try 2, two shoes that appeared on the uh, World Athletics list of approved shoes as being approved, not like in development phase, but just, you know, approved. Um, and um, I can even give you the, the date. Um, I think it was in February, somewhere there. The funny thing is that they are on that list and um, it seems like being on that list as approved shoes and not development shoes. So development shoes are essentially prototypes. Uh, once the shoes are approved and are white on the list, um, yeah. they're supposed to be available to the public. But um, have you seen the Cloud Tribe being available somewhere on the internet or in any shop that you have been to? Not yet, no. <laughs> and okay. I mean, I, I haven't seen it either. And maybe it, it, ha it has uh, been sold somewhere in very limited quantities. But I think that's also maybe a, an area of, you know, um, I wouldn't say... Uh, Certainly not cheating because, again, the rules are what they are and, and just companies are playing with them. Um, but the, the availability rule was made for some reason. And now mm. we see shoes that seem to be, you know, custom shoes. On essentially has two top names in, in triathlon. And they also have two CloudTry shoes, the CloudTry 1 and the CloudTry 2. One could think that these are custom versions for the two Norwegian athletes. And uh, surprisingly, the shoes are not available anywhere. So... Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's quite interesting also here. I don't know what happened to that rule because <laughs> in the beginning it has to be released some time before and uh, yeah. available in small quantities. And today it seems like this rule, uh, I don't know how many, it seems like it's not followed really, that rule. It's, um, we see a lot of shoes on, on top marathon runners before they're released. Or I have, at least I haven't seen them in, available for the public at all. So I don't know if that rule still applies. Certainly, it's similar with I remember the New Balance track spikes. Was it last year or maybe uh, maybe slightly earlier when they were winning everything on the track, but you couldn't get hold of them anywhere at all. Mm. I think for the New Balance, I I saw the the so it was the LDX, the Supercomp LDX, yeah, that released like you know in size US size four or five on the US <laughs> website, <laughs> uh, probably. Um, uh, yeah, in like two two pairs. I, I don't know the number of pairs, but sizes were were US four or five. If I remember well, I have a screenshot wow. somewhere of that. Um, but for this one, the the on shoe, I haven't seen it anywhere. the The availability scheme, as per the World Athletics rules, um, is, and I'm quoting it: the new shoe must be available, must be made available for purchase by the relevant sport manufacturer no later than one month prior to the start date of the first applicable competition at which the athlete proposes to wear the new shoe unless otherwise agreed in writing by the chef, uh, the chief executive officer. Um, so the, the rule still exists. That being said, it 
you know, nowhere in this document is mentioned a, a quantity or uh, a place at which the shoe must be made available. It's just must be made available. So maybe the cloud try was sold at the Zurich shop of the of on in like mm -hmm. one pair, and someone got it because they were lucky that day. When we see the alpha fly uh, <laughs> on several athletes, for instance, uh, at the moment, um, we would assume that it was to be released soon. But yeah, um, <laughs> I haven't seen anywhere where this the alpha fly would be available, and I can't imagine that Nike of all would. Uh, would make it available uh, to the public before. But that's a bit different because the, the, the one you're referring to is still, first, we, we're not sure about the name. It could be the new Alpha Fly, but maybe it's another shoe. And it's still referred to as a development shoe on the, on the list of shoes. So technically, because it's not a new shoe, but still a development shoe, it doesn't have to be available. It's, it's a new shoe, so a shoe that has been approved okay. and that is on the list that must be made available one month prior to the, the first competition. Um, so the, the Nike one technically you know, is still a prototype and there's a, a beginning date for that prototype phase. Uh, it's the 4th of December, 2022, and it runs until the 3rd of December, 2023. Until that date, and um, you know, Nike can just have the shoe out there and athletes racing in the shoe. Uh, without any any problem because it's considered as a development shoe. Okay. Okay. But at least that's that's my reading of it. Yeah. But I think uh, one topic that's interesting it's it's a lot of these brands that we used to consider being a little bit behind the curve, <laughs> and I'm also referring to Asics as a good example. Mm. Uh, are some of the companies like Misuna and Asics a few years back they would not be like. The, the first movers when it comes to new geometries and shoes and uh, experimenting a lot like ASICs are doing with uh, having like uh, shoes for stride runners and cadence runners and these things. And and now I think some of the leading companies are some of the companies we just a few years ago would, uh, would think would be way behind. So it's interesting to see a lot of, also Puma for that matter, but it's interesting yeah. to see a lot of these brands now uh, leading the way in a way, don't you think? Or Oh, definitely. I think Puma is really leaping inside the fast R and especially the fast forward, which is an absolutely mad shoe with a crazy geometry on it. It's an incredibly fun shoe to run in. But like you say, I mean, Nike, since the Alpha Fly, it's just been small iterations, whereas Mizuno, Puma, Asics have seemed to be making huge strides forward in trying new things. Is it maybe also some a period now where all the manufacturers got access to PBA or PBEX. And that's one place where everyone seems to be at the same level. And now, you know, the other area of improvement has to be geometry. Um, it's like those two compartments and one you've, once you've reached uh, the highest level you can in, in one place, you need to explore the second one before maybe some new improvements will happen in, in the mm -hmm. compound uh, side of, of things, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I, to I totally agree, and I think that yeah, the the third the third uh, parameter maybe the the carbon plate itself, mm -hmm. the more the the patents that some company has gotten on certain angles, because it, it's it's it matters a lot the angles of these carbon plates, and I don't think the carbon plate itself is. I think I think the foam matters much more actually, but it has to work together with the carbon plate, and and yep. it's it's like we have 
both the geometry, the carbon plate, um, and the foam now that that have to work, and and we see uh, especially geometry now is like something they focus a lot on, and they can try to to experiment a little bit more with, especially some of these companies that want to get some gains, uh, which have been a bit behind. I think it's easier for them maybe to to play around a bit with the geometry. Yeah. Is there any company that you're thinking of that hasn't reached the foam standard level yet? Yeah. And by standard level, I, I refer to, you know, having a yeah. PBAF foam. Yeah. Brooks. <laughs> yeah. Brooks are, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's in a way, it's this, this the, in specialty stores, which I'm a part of myself, that's that retail area. It, it's the largest brand in the world. But they, they, I mean, they make pretty much the perfect fit in shoes, so it helps a lot when you're selling a shoe. But they could play around a bit more with, uh, with these kind of things. They, they, they're playing it safe these years. Don't take too many chances. At some point, they have to enter this ball game. But I th I'm, I'm pretty sure they will. Uh, Hoka, I think, haven't they just caught up releasing their first Peeba-based shoe? Yeah, and now it seems like it's like a good one. I mean, at least from my personal perspective, it's definitely a very good one. And I've heard some some good feedback. Uh, is that one that you're willing to try? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to love to love to try because my last experience Hoka, I mean, with the midsole foam, wasn't the most enjoyable. I found it quite dead. So, if they got something bouncier and more fun, love a go. Yeah, me me too. I'm I'm really intrigued by actually by the geometry of the of the. I can look at a shoe and I, if I can see it from the side, I can say almost for sure if I will enjoy you know the the my transition from 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 midfoot to forefoot. And I like this, like where you have the rugger both both at the where you have the cut off both in the heel and the front, like you do in that shoe. It's a, it it seems very promising. It reminds me of some of the the sketches actually. Some of the sketches have the same like M strike profile, which seems to work very very well from my uh, my high cadence one. So, yeah, that's a shoe that would be really interesting to try on. It's actually the shoe that I used today, and I can confirm it's really special. Um, I would probably put it at the top of my sort of list of shoes in which I would race if I had to race tomorrow. Uh, I'm not racing tomorrow, but <laughs> it would be the it would be the Hoka, I guess. It does seem to be a shoe that has received some very positive reviews from everyone that's had it on foot so far. Um, listen, we we've discussed shoes, companies. Uh, we have a few more minutes. There's the Boston Marathon uh, coming up next week. I mean, in in seven days, but um of course it's it's always uh monday for the boston marathon are you um are you going to watch it do you have any any favorites on the the men and women side that's the kipchoge show isn't it <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think i mean it depends i mean it depends on what time it's on i don't know the time difference from boston but i'll probably be at work but i think it's all eyes on kipchoge we'll see jay albertson lead him out how long will he hold on for will he break the course record what's he gonna be wearing on his feet you know, is he going to make all six world marathon majors winners? I think that's a perfect uh, scene setter. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Andy. We can move on to the London marathon. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. Um, no, I I, I, I do agree. Uh, uh, Ivan, do you have any any other maybe names that you will be following in, in Boston? Uh, no, I, I think, uh, I don't know. I, 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 um, yeah, I, I have the same analysis as, as Andy here. I don't, I don't think we'll see any 
big surprises. There are some young guys coming up uh, these years, but it, I don't know. It's a tricky course, and the uh, weather conditions are tricky also, and it all depends on the day. Uh, they're going to have headwind or tailwind, and, uh, yeah. and how hot, cold is it going to be. And, of course, that can play a role, but uh, I don't expect big surprises. And, of course, it's people are saying it's a tough course but these these runners are used to running on so much hillier courses i, I honestly don't think it will be that big of an issue it's even a, totally it's a, actually a bit downhill and you could have a a tailwind so <laughs> you could have really really fast time surprisingly <laughs> fast times i think so uh yeah no actually i, I think we'll have a pretty fast time there uh, and yeah um, we'll see um I, I, I'm not going to come with special names, but I, I think it's it's going to be an interesting one. But uh, I don't think it will be that surprising, to be honest. Um, I don't think we'll. I mean, for Kipchoge, we're talking about him. I, I think he made his world record. I'm, I'm honestly, I don't think he'll make a new world record. To I think he'll make his world record. I think his focus is somewhere else now, and I think we'll see within the next three, four years, we'll see more than one guy beating his world record. That's my suggestion, and. Of course, not in Boston, but um, yeah, his focus will now be on the six majors and winning those. And uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not that thrilled about that whole uh, experiment thing. I mean, the world record is more like something that was like, really intriguing. Also, the two-hour barrier, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I'm not like completely thrilled about seeing if he gets the six majors. I'm, I, I don't know. Maybe yeah, will. I, maybe I, won't. But, yeah. I'm I'm probably with you here. I would I would rather have like a you know two or five or two or six or two or eight marathon, but like a proper race with people playing strategics and and looking at each other rather than having one guy in the front and and just some you know question of timing and how how he holds his pace. I mean, times are great, but it's also about good racing, like you say. I mean, it, yeah, okay. When you got something like the sub two attempt, when it's all set up perfectly for someone to perform, that's amazing. But you know, the best sporting events come from those stories, come from that narrative, come from that close fight towards the end, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. Um, guys, thanks so much for for taking the time to record uh, to the podcast tonight. Um, the, the episode will release after Boston, but maybe before London. Uh, it's still the, the early episodes of the podcast, so the schedule has to be uh, refined. Uh, but if you're listening to this before uh, the London Marathon, there will be a Meta Endurance group run organized uh, on Saturday. You can check the Strava uh, group, the Meta Endurance Strava group for more details. Uh, and you can join um, Tim, Andy and myself uh, on the, the Saturday before the, before the London Marathon in London somewhere for a uh, shakeout run. Yeah. Um, thanks, Andy. Thanks, uh, Ivan. And we will be uh, doing another one very soon. Thank you very much, guys. Have yeah. a great evening. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Limitless Performance Podcast by Meta Endurance. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope it will inspire you to go beyond your limits. You can find us on social media at Meta Endurance and at Alex Felitti. Don't hesitate to tag us and ask your questions. We'll try to answer as many of them as we can in the upcoming episodes. Thanks again and see you in the next one.